saw the video with Gabe, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, uh, that made me really uncomfortable. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I was in, <laughs> I was in the office, so uh, I kind of stayed back there and just kind of pray um, sometimes to tr try to gather my thoughts, because I've, I've got a lot of pinball action going on, you know, in my mind, like some of you guys do, you know. And so uh, sometimes when I, I walk in, I, I kind of walk in the middle of something. I walked in and I saw that. I thought, maybe I need to turn right back around and walk back the other way. And, uh, but I do, I do appreciate everybody, you know, who uh, lays it on the line, man, to give up their gifts, their talents, their time, their energy to serve us, you know, to make things. Listen, there's nothing wrong in the kingdom, man, uh, in enjoying the kingdom. You know what I'm talking about? And enjoying the gifts and the blessings and the encouragement and the laughter of one another. And to celebrate the things that God has put in people's hearts and lives to the benefit of the body. Amen? So I'm, I'm really, really, really grateful. Uh, before I even get into the scripture this morning, and a shocker uh, to many of you all, uh, we're not in Exodus, right? Remember I told you guys last week, I said, we're going to take a step out of Exodus for about three weeks running up to Easter. And... Uh, and we'll see what God's got. Um, but before I even get into that, I do want to say to Miss Kathy that we're praying for you, Miss Kathy. And um, I know our small group Thursday night was praying for you. And uh, the church has been praying for you uh, at the passing of your brother. Uh, Miss Kathy bore witness to the fact that her brother was a follower of Jesus, which makes that difficulty of going through such a loss uh, much easier in a sense that it is a temporal separation uh, that will one day end with an eternal uh, reunion. So, uh, but we do pray for you, my sister, and pray for your entire family. And we love you. We love you. And uh, so, uh, let, let's transition uh, somewhat. Um, the, the scripture we're going to be studying over the next three weeks is a, is a scripture that I, I preached at Jay uh, Lynn's mother's funeral. As a matter of fact, I preached this scripture at several funerals. And uh, this is a scripture that I normally navigate uh, relatively well in about 30 minutes, you know, at a funeral, if you, if you will. And uh, so uh, it's going to take us three weeks to get through this exact same text. And the reason being, during a funeral, there's certain things you want to say, and there's certain things that are appropriate, and there's certain things that you're wanting to try to accomplish. Uh, and sometimes what it doesn't do, it doesn't allow you the opportunity to really open it up, man, and dig that stuff out and really see everything. So what we're going to be doing this morning is that same uh, text I, I shared at many funerals, uh, I'm going to share with you, and it's in regards to a funeral, right? John chapter 11 uh, we've all heard of this. We've all maybe even heard this scripture read. We've read it. We've heard it preached, taught, whatnot. And it's the story of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, the, the community of Bethany and all of that stuff. And we know how this thing goes down, right? If you've read the scripture, you know how it goes down. You know, the man's dead. Jesus arrives. The man's no longer dead, right? That's kind of how it shakes out, you know, the, the big picture, but what we're going to do, we're going to kind of travel through this story, this experience over the next three weeks. And you're like, man, it's going to take us three weeks to get through that? Yes, it is. <laughs> hey, I'm just sorry. It's just going to be what it's going to be. But today what we're going to do is we're not even going to make it to Bethany today. 
Our plans today as we open up this scripture is just getting to Bethany. Making, you know, the effort to start in that direction, okay? So uh, to some degree, uh, we're not going to really get into all the details of what took place once he arrives there. You know, the big picture thing, man, the power and all that. We're going to work through these first few verses because there's some significant things in these verses uh, that will apply to you, that will apply to me, that applies to each and every one of us. And we're going to unpack this stuff this morning. And... Um, and we'll go next week wherever we leave off today, okay? We can do that, right? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 is where I'm going to start, okay? All right, you guys with me? Uh, if you don't have your Bible, what did I get? It? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, let, let's do this thing, right? John chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Clark, throw them up there, brother. All right, all right. Here we go. This is what the scripture says, and we're going to read it, we're going to bless the Lord, and then we're going to just study it. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. Anybody here with a friend named Lazarus anywhere? Anybody in or know anyone named Lazarus? Okay, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> we got a couple Lazaruses within the circle here, Okay. Okay, yeah, Gabe's got a lot of unexpected things going on today. That's true. But uh, others have uh, people they know named Lazarus. I wonder if they were named after. Okay, let's move forward. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, let me just say something even before we read through the scripture. Do you know how significant Bethany is in the scripture? Let me, let me just say this. This small venue, small community, a couple miles, 1.9 miles outside of Jerusalem over the Mount of Olives and whatnot, is extremely significant, but it's, it's, it's uh, significant in the sense of what takes place there, um, but not significant in, in the sense of the scale of the place or anything else. For example, we know by the scripture we're about to read that there's people that Jesus loves that lives in Bethany, okay? We also know if you go into uh, chapter 12, Jesus comes back to Bethany before he goes to die. Did y'all know that? He comes back to Bethany, right? To be with these people that he loves. This is the last time he's going to see them, right? So that, that is important in that sense. And then the other thing regarding Bethany that we sometimes push over is that the ascension after Jesus was uh, resurrected 40 days later, it is Bethany the vicinity of Bethany that he finds himself in where they watch the ascension take place. How many of you all knew that? So when you just consider those three factors, it, 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 it raises a, a, a given value or significance to this small, small community. I say that to say this to you, that God can do big things in little places, right? Right? So not, no matter where you live, where you're from, whatever it may be, God can be significant there, regardless of the population or the density of the population, right? Just consider that small thing. Lebanon Junction, God can show up there, right? Buffalo, Magnolia, Mount Sherman, places like that, right? Everybody who lives in those places, you better be saying, you're in trouble if you're not, right? Okay, this is what it says. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Takes place in chapter 12. 
on his way to Jerusalem. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, bless the reading, the preaching of your word. Speak, Lord, speak to us this morning through your word. Speak through me, Lord, uh, my great fear of this, I confess to you, Father, is that I would become a roadblock to what you're trying to do this morning. Oh, God, do not allow that to happen this morning. Do not allow that to happen this morning. Speak clearly through me. Even the, the chattering you know, words that I share, the, the discombobulated thinking and, and the, 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 the sputtering of words, God, only you can take that mess and make it something, Lord, that's, that's, that's e even digestible in our spirits to the benefit of us. So, Lord, take, take this scrambled, the scrambled mess and speak through it this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. Okay, okay. Mm. So the scripture says there right at the very end, verse 3, Lord, the one you love is sick, right? Now let me, let me say this, and I, I, every time I read this scripture, I, I want to drop this little caveat in there. Uh, because people sometimes are confused by uh, teachings that they've heard, things they've exposed themselves. Let me just say this to you. You may ask the question this morning, you mean, Trent, that God can love me and I can still be sick? Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, if you uh, uh, subscribe to any other notion saying that, if God really loves me, then I will be healthy at all times. That will, that will eventually be challenged in your life by your own experience and you will realize at that moment that that is not true. That certainly this is a reality that we've all experienced that people who love God in a fallen world living within a, a fallen vessel will deteriorate, will be subject to deteriorating factors, and will become ill. It, it, it's inevitable. It is the ones who subscribe to notions that are contrary to that that find themselves somewhat disillusioned when sickness or difficulties come into their life, and they're saying, but hey, man, I love God. This isn't supposed to happen, Kevin Capel. But you know what happens. This is the reality it happens. And so this one person that Jesus loved has fallen ill. Now one of the beautiful things about it is they send messengers to Jesus. And their request for Jesus' response is predicated on his love for them. Understand it's not just his love for Lazarus. Jesus later reveals this. But it's predicated on on the fact that they know that Jesus has demonstrated and expressed his love for them, their automatic assumption would be that he would want to respond to us in our time of need. Now listen, I say to you this morning, that's an absolute truth. We should all be able to approach Jesus 
with requests, needs articulated to him, predicated on the fact that he loves us. Right? Right? It's not that he owes us. It's not anything. It's the fact that he loves us. And so they send word to him, predicated on his love for them, with the expectation to some degree that that love would become a catalyst for a response to their need. You see, the scripture says the one you love is sick, phileo. The Greek word phileo is used, and it literally means a friendship, a kinship, a deep intimate bond. They're basically saying to Jesus, hey Jesus, man, that, that good friend of yours, the one that you're tight with, your fishing buddy, the guy that you go to the games with, the guy that you spend time with, the guy that you hunt with, Dwayne, that guy that, that, that you, you live life, that friend is sick. And Jesus' response is as we read here. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Carrie had said something to me one time and something about how God had, had, had spoken to her about a given matter, and I completely understand exactly what she's talking about. And I think it plays out in this scripture. When Jesus says to them, this sickness will not end in death, that wasn't necessary for him to say. But he says it Anyway, right? I want to say to you this morning, possibly giving some insight to why he would say it when he didn't have to say it, and it is this, because what they're about to go into is going to smell like death, taste like death, and feel like death, as Carrie told me, right? These are realities. He's about, they're about to go into a situation that every sense that they possess is going to measure and, 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 and perceive this to be a death experience. Yet in light of everything that they're about to experience, every sign, every symptom that looks like death, Jesus says, this isn't death. Wherever you're at, Whatever you're going through, when the Lord has spoken to you about a given matter in your heart and in your life, it doesn't matter, listen to me, it doesn't matter what you're perceiving. It doesn't matter what you're feeling. It doesn't matter what you're smelling. Because if Jesus has spoken into your heart through his word regarding your given experience, nothing you experience overrides what he has said. And so going into this situation, man, when they smell the stink of the body, when they, when they see the mourning of the people, when they see the wailing of the, of the great number that have gathered there, it looks, feels, and smells, but it's not. Some of you have been in situations where you've been completely overwhelmed. Lynn, you've been there. I've been there. Many of us have been there. And we thought, man, this is the end of this thing. This feels like the end. This thing feels like it's completely falling apart. 
My life is crumbling. I mean, for the very pillars that hold my life up are, are, are compromising or crashing down. This is the end of what I know to be what I have. In all reality, you stand on the other side of that months, years later, saying that wasn't the end. But when I was there, it felt like the end. It smelled like the end. It looked like the end. But if God says it's not the end, it's not the end. So he says to them, hey guys, this thing isn't going to end in death. But it's for the glory of God so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now check this out. Check this portion of Scripture out. This is what Jesus says. Now Jesus, remember, this ain't just about Lazarus. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, being Mary, and Lazarus. Let me say this to you just to encourage you this morning. We're going to stop right there. Just Listen, you do know that he loves you, don't you? You do know that, right? He, know, he, he loves you. He doesn't love the Rockford family. He loves Ronnie. He loves Penny. He loves their children that consist, that the Rockford family consists of. He, he doesn't love the driven church. He loves you who are in the driven church. If all of us were taken out of the driven church, there's no love for, uh, for this place, for this building, for this location, but it's you that he loves. It's you that he loves. And I think sometimes we think that God only loves us by association, affiliation. Well, God loves Trent because God's really fond of Carrie. Carrie's such a dynamic children's minister, such a dynamic worship leader. And by osmosis, Trent receives some of that love that just kind of flows off of her and out of her cup into his lap. You know what the reality is? He does love her like that. But he loves me like that. He loves, he loves the Evans family because he loves Carrie. He loves Trent. He loves Clark. He loves you. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that it's you that he loves. Are you tracking with me? Do you understand that? Some of you need to get that. Carl, he loves you. You. By name, you. He doesn't respond to Mary and Martha's request through these messengers because he loves Lazarus. He does it for the benefit of his disciples, but it's born out of his love for them all. And he doesn't love me more than he loves you. Listen, the other night, Wednesday night, two weeks ago, I'm sitting back there in the office. I'm doing some word study, right? A gentleman walks into the church. Gabe's talking to him. I tell Gabe to send him into the office so I can, I can speak to him. The gentleman's in the middle of a schizophrenic episode. And the guy is speaking completely out of his mind. He's completely detached from reality. He is speaking about things that do not exist, hearing things that aren't being spoken. And I'm sitting there and I'm talking to this young man and he's 26 years old, the same age as my daughter prior to her latest birthday. And I'm sitting there and I'm talking to this young man whose name is Jacob. And the kid is out there, man. He's out there. 
And I'm able to get his mother's phone number from him. And I end up calling his mother and she wants me to do this and she wants me to do that. But she decides to come down. But while we're waiting for her to come down as I'm speaking, I just opened up the book of 1 John. And I just started reading the book of 1 John to this guy. This cat's on a schizophrenic episode. And in the middle of the chaos and in the middle of the insanity of this broken mind and this young man, I began to read out of 1 John, and you can feel, and I told those, I said, you can just feel things begin to settle. And the man began to get quiet. And the man began, his posture completely changed. And for brief moments, I could see in. And I could speak to him. And I could understand, I had connected with the real person. And I began to believe it or not, began to reason with him. That he hadn't been on any of his medications. He was in a place, he was in a broken place. Just like a body, a bone that is broken needs to be casted. The mind that was broken needs to be casted. And I convinced him into going back to the care of those who really wanted to help him. And his mother, mother comes and we end up communicating this, that, and, and she ends up taking him. Upon leaving, I walk out of the narthex and there is Derek and there is Gabe and there is Taylor. And I said to you guys, and they all acknowledged it, God loved the broken schizophrenic kid as much as he loved the guy that was standing up here preaching. God cared just as much about him. He loved Jacob. And I tried with all that was in me to convey that to this young, broken man. And I'll stand here with the same fervor, intensity, and resolve to try to convince you because I think some of you just don't believe it. But he does love you. He does love you. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he got in the car and drove immediately to Bethany. That's not what the scripture says. He didn't get on a high horse and ride off. He wasn't a cross-country runner, sprinted over the hillside, down through the valleys, up over the mountains, arriving at Bethany just in the nick of time. He didn't do that. What the scripture says is, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. To you and I, what? what do we, we look at that and we're like, man, that's not what I thought love was going to look like, right, Christy? I mean, uh, that don't look too much, that don't look like love, right? How many times have we done that? We looked at God because God didn't come running the way we wanted God to come running. We said, well, that don't look like the love that I would do. I, I, man, I. Let me say this to you. God's delay isn't God's denial, right? You, you with me? It is because He loved Him that He waited two more days. You and I have got to kind of work through this stuff, man. 
Instead of seeing God through the prism of our love and what we perceive and our definition of love, we got to start seeing things on an eternal scale and start to measure things, man. If God is delaying, man, it is for our best interest. How many of you on the hindsight of one of God's delays in your life look back and think, thank God I didn't get what I was wanting, but I got the delay of God, right? Man, that's happened to me a thousand times. A thousand times. And then on the back side of it, the, de the delay that I was cursing, I'm blessing. And what I need to be doing is probably repenting over the fact that I was cursing the delay. I say, oh God, thank you for the delay. Oh, how I've been increased, Greg, because of the delay. Oh, how I've been changed because of the delay. Right? He stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. <laughs> let us go back to Judea. Jerusalem. That's what he's saying. You know what they said to him? Well, you can read it up there. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. What he's referencing is in John chapter 8 and John chapter 9. And John, John chapter 10. John chapter 8, 58 through 59, it says, Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. He's speaking to the crowd, right? And you know what the crowd did? At this they picked up stones to stone him. That's one thing they're referencing. And then in John chapter 10, just the previous chapter, right? Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you want to stone me? And what the disciples were saying to him, you want to go back? You want to go back where they were what? Trying to stone you, yet you were going back. You know what they were really saying? You going to take us back here? <laughs> Come on, you got to be honest. You got to be honest. You know, they go up to the master, they say, Rabbi, they were trying to stone you. And they're going to try it again. I, I got a feeling, you know, these last couple of encounters, man, it, it ended up with a stone throwing session. We were fortunate to get out. And now you want to go back and they're going to stone you and us. <laughs> and us. You can, you can sense it. You can sense that. Right? Yet you are going back. And then Jesus says something here. This is so, so important. Man, you got to get this. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Now this is a little catch scripture. This is Getting a little funky here. You know what I'm talking about? This thing's kind of going to twist us a bit. About to get in one of those spiritual arm bars. You know what I'm talking about? It's about to happen. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Now listen. It's metaphorical and it's literal. Carl and I were talking about this the other day. It's metaphorical in the sense that Jesus is saying to them, listen, man, my time is fixed. 
I've only got so much time to be dealing with this. I've only got so much time. The Father's got a plan. I've got to fit that. There's a metaphorical application. We've got to walk while we've got the daylight. We've got to get this thing done. We've got to move on. We've got to go where they may stone us. And then there's the literal application. When he says, what? There's 12, right? There's 12 hours, right? That's what it says right there. It says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? The vernal equinox in the Jewish calendar, the spring equinox? Four days prior to the spring equinox, or the vernal equinox, the days are exactly 12 hours long. Exactly 12 hours long. And you say, well, what is the significance of that? The significance of that is to find ourselves in, in, a, in a measured period of time. Where are we in relations to what's going to be taking place in the coming weeks? If you go back to uh, John chapter 10, verse 22... It says, the previous chapter, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. This takes place in the winter. This takes place in, in December, basically. If you go into the next chapter, they arrive back in Bethany six days prior to Passover, and Passover in the year 33 A.D. would have taken place April the 13th. Are you, are you tracking with me? So we understand that Lazarus somewhere gets sick, between, for, so you'll understand, Christmas and Easter, right? Between winter and spring. But Jesus says there's 12 hours in the day. Four days, I told you, four days prior to the spring equinox, the vernal equinox, the day is exactly 12 hours. What is that saying to us? What is the revel, re, relevance of that? The relevance of that is the fact that what is happening right here and what happens in a matter of 20-some days later in the resurrection of Jesus is all happening in a short period of time. All of this is compressed in this, this, this singular uh, moment. This, this Basically in one month, all this is happening. That is so significant. And you'll understand as we go through why it's significant. Twenty-seven days later, what we would know to be April the 17th, 33 A.D. is the day Jesus would be crucified. This is happening 27 days prior to that. Remember that. And after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep by him going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. Now, I want you to understand this portion of Scripture. Because Jesus doesn't say, the man I love is sick or asleep. Or the brother of the two sisters that I love is asleep or dead. But Jesus then references Lazarus in a different manner, connecting him with the affections of the group. 
And he says to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Our friend. You too are connected with Lazarus, just like I'm connected with Lazarus. And what does that scripture say to us? Jesus knew his delay and the death of Lazarus would also cause a significant amount of heartache. Tears and weeping in the hearts of those that he held closest to him, his very own disciples. Yet he, he delayed two days knowing they would have heartache and suffering. But he knew that the heartache and the suffering would be justifiable considering what it was that they would gain through the experience. And so Jesus looks at them and says, what you're going to gain in my delay is worth a temporal heartache. It's worth suffering a bit. It's worth weeping and losing sleep. And each and every one of us Look at the things that God's wanting to provide for us and we say, we want that, but I don't want it if it's going to cost me this. I don't want the growth. I don't want the experience with God. Not on that level if it's going to cause me some discomfort. If it's going to jack up my schedule, my priority, if it's going to, discombobulate my order of life. I want the thing that God wants for me as long as it all just kind of jibes with what I've got going on. And then we wonder why why we can't hold up when life gets tough. Because we've never been in the deep water. We refuse to go in the deep water. And Jesus is looking at them and says, our friend, your friend, my friend. I love how the scripture says, and it does later in chapter 11, that Jesus wept. I think it's significant to highlight that simply because it's Jesus. But do you think the others didn't? It wouldn't it's not nearly as significant to say, well, Peter wept, John wept, James wept. Well, highlight the fact that Jesus wept, but he was a friend of them all. Do you not think they wept? Come on, man. Have we dehumanized everybody in the scripture? Have we isolated them from the reality of emotions and feelings that each and every one of us experience? As though they're walking around in some mindless catatonic state? No. Real people who lost a real friend would have wept too. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Not mostly dead, as in the Princess Bride and Billy Crystal. Not mostly dead. Completely dead, man. Completely dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. This is where it all starts to come together, even before we get to Bethany. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. So what's happening here? Motivated by love for Lazarus and Mary and Martha and his disciples. 
and what would ultimately benefit everyone the most. So that you may believe. Right? If you go on into John chapter 11, verse 17, it says Jesus arrives, right? And they find Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. This is the hinge scripture. Four days he had already been in the tomb, right? Now this wasn't the first time that the disciples had seen people raised from the dead, right? They had seen this. But there's something significant about this one that's different than every other encounter that they had witnessed. Jairus' daughter, the widow of Nain, her son, within Jewish culture, Middle Eastern culture, the day you die, the funeral takes place, and you're buried. Literally, they arrive at Jairus' house, right? His daughter is still there, implying what? She had just died. She had not been dead a significant amount of time. Right? And he raises her from the dead. Talitha Kum. Remember that scripture? Talitha, little girl, rise. That's what he says. The little girl gets up. What choice does she have? It's not like Clark. I said, Clark, get out of bed. He's like, I'm there. <laughs> Jesus said, Talitha Kum, get up, little girl. The little girl shoots up. He says, feed the kid. That's what he says. Read the scripture. And then there's the, the widow of Nain, right? Man, they're, they're packing this kid out in a casket, in a coffin, right? You know the scripture. Jesus walks up to him, you know, walking through, funeral, hey, pay your respect, headlights on, right? Pull off blinkers, got all that going on. Funeral procession, you know how we do it here in Kentucky. Right in the middle of all that, in social propriety, Jesus goes up and says, hey, 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 get, get out of there. Right? Gets out of there. But what is that? It's the same day. So everyone in that situation may ultimately come to a conclusion when their faith and confidence in Jesus is challenged. Well, maybe, just maybe, they were mostly dead. And you know how the enemy will kind of bring that doubt into your hearts, right? You know, when you get further and further removed from a, 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 a majestic, expression of God in your life, in the moment when you experience it, man, you're overwhelmed, man, you're giving God glory, man, you're dancing, right? My charismatic brothers, you know, they, they, they don't got, they'll get all beside themselves, you know what I'm talking about, falling out and everything else, you know what, they're really celebrating the goodness of God, you know how we do it, right? You know what I'm talking about, the electric bill comes in, and then all of a sudden, a check comes in behind it, and you're like, ah, and you're just dancing all over the porch, you're calling people. Calling people, texting people, Facebooking, Dwayne Spacebooking. I mean, doing it all, putting it out there. Look what God did. Three or four months later, you're in another situation where you had the same need, and you're like, well, that was just coincidence. That check came in, and the likelihood of that happening again, slim and none. You know what I'm talking about, right? We do this, right? We do this. You've done it. I've done it. But this is different. This is different. When they arrive in Bethany, this cat's been dead for four days. Four days. I said four days. Remember what Jesus said the delay was for so they would believe. Believe when? 
You think it was just believing in Bethany? I'm going to tell you why the four days is, is significant. Because a matter of weeks later, remember I was talking about the time frame? They would have to say goodbye to their king. And if on that first day he's not raising up, it dismiss, dismisses the strength and the reach of his power that was demonstrated in the life of Jairus' daughter, in the life of the widow's son of Nain. The second day, all that's discounted. That reach has been limited. The third day when hope is, is, is fading away and, and, and it is shrinking. What they are about to experience through the delay is an expression of God where he anchors and deposits something in them that they can draw from some 27 days later because Jesus is about to demonstrate for them that he has the reach to extend into the grave for four days with everyone seeing this. He literally says, move the stone away. They said, he stinketh is what the King James would say. Jesus said, it doesn't matter. Let me in there. Four days later, my reach is just as significant. And I'll call a dead man out of the grave after four days. The importance then becomes when he is crucified, when he is buried, and their hope is becoming diminished. On the third day when he said he would come back, he has deposited into these believers, these disciples, an experience that they can rely upon. That I know it's been three days, but I've seen him do this in four days. And God has provided for me something that exceeds what I'm going to need in the future. That's the whole point of the delay. Is that in your life and in my life, God does things in you. Not for now, but it's in the time, the time to come when you can pull from that. He will take you into deep water so that when the time comes, you can go with him into the deep water to retrieve others who are in the deep water who don't have him. That's the message of Easter. Is there, that's the message they came back with. That's the experience that they end up ultimately having. You won't fret three days. And yet we know that the disciples were despairing. But when they come to the tomb, the scripture says, speaking of John, he believed. Now, we don't know what the catalyst was, right? But I can't help but to think that he remembered. Oh, I should have known. I should have known. It was just 27 days ago. How have I forgotten? How have I forgotten? Why did I despair? It's only been 27 days and he showed me what he could do and yet I've forgotten. And then the reality, the reality of that born again in his spirit and his heart and his mind, the scripture says faith arises, right? And it says that he believed. Believed what? That Jesus was alive. That's what he believed. I believe God is wanting to do things in your life through the delay to sustain you in deeper waters to the benefit of others. It isn't just about you. It wasn't just about 
Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It wasn't even about the disciples, just them. It was about those who would hear from the words the disciples would share. Born out of this experience, born out of this delay. You tell me which would be more beneficial one, two days into the death of Jesus. What would have been more beneficial? That he not delayed and he strode into Bethany, he healed a man who was sick that he had done that many other times. What strength do they draw from that when they've seen a master who has been in the grave for two days going on three? What would have been better? Him do that? You think your way would have been better? When you ask God to come and to do, you think your, job, your, your plan was better? What if he would have done that? Or was it better that he did what he did? They saw what they saw, experienced what they experienced. They were changed like they were changed. And Jesus said, I'm going to do all this so that you might believe. That's a powerful, powerful thought. Powerful, powerful thought. But at the end of this scripture that I'm about to read and we're going to close, we just don't get it, man. Sometimes we just don't get it, Dwayne. We don't get it. The master's speaking, the master's teaching, the master's leading, and we sit there, man, and, and we're looking somewhere else, man, and we don't get it. And that's what happens at the end of this scripture. As a matter of fact, this is what it says. Then Thomas... Hey, I love Thomas. I shared this last Easter. Hey, me and Tom, I'm down with Thomas. Thomas, I want to be like Thomas in some facets, but I'm a lot more, lot more like Thomas in the facets that I probably wouldn't want to be. But this is what Thomas, the word Thomas means twin. The word Didymus means twin. Basically, they're saying the twin twin. That's what the scripture really says. Greek and the Hebrew, twin twin. He's a twin twin. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, the twin. Well, who is the twin? Who, where's the other cat? It's probably your twin. It's probably my twin. Because I got a feeling we both sound kind of like this. Not even getting it, man. Said to the rest of the disciples, hey, let us all also go, that we, that we may die with him. Jesus sitting there thinking, oh, man, I'm doing this so that you'll believe. Thomas is here. Hey, let's just die. Following God, let's just go die. Let's go get stoned to death. Come on, guys. Let's, but that's how we do it, isn't it? Jesus is speaking life. Jesus is taking us to a funeral that we might experience life. And all we see from our perspective is the delay and ultimately death. Now, can you imagine Thomas there when that stone throws away? And, and what, what Thomas is from Kentucky? Well, by golly, did you see that? He told that fella to come out. That fella came out. Not a rock fly. Only rock moving that day was that rock. <laughs> that was the only stone moving that day. Now, you and I have a difficult time navigating these things in our lives simply because we really and honestly feel like we're more competent to call the shots in our lives 
as opposed to look at God and come under his leading in submission. Let me ask you, as we live a life resistant to submitting of God, let me ask you, be honest, how's it working? How's it working for you? How's it working for your family? How's it working for your husband? How's it working for your wife? How's it working for your children? How's it working for your coworkers? How's it working? I would love to be in that posture, Joy, where Jesus would say whatever he says, and he says, go, and I'm like, let's go. That's where I want to be. Is that where you want to be? When Jesus says, let's do this, I'm like, yeah. let's do that. Let's go here. Let's go there. Yeah. Okay. Let's say this. Let's don't say that. And my response to him is always, yes. I trust you in that. Isn't that where you want to be? That's where I want to be, Nathan. That's where I want to be. Stand with me this morning. Next week, we break into the city limits of Bethany. We cross into the community. That's where we'll be next week. But the important thing is, where are you today? What is God saying to you today? What has God been saying to you? Have you been cursing the delay? You like me, right? You need to, to learn the benefit of blessing the delay. That he's working something better. That you can't control, you can't manipulate, you can't scheme against, you can't twist, bend, and turn. Close your heads just for a moment. Bow your heads if you would, please. Each man, each woman, each person in here this morning, just in this moment, ask yourselves, ask yourselves this morning, who's really calling the shots? Who really dictates your attitudes, your dispositions. Who really dictates the way you respond? Who really dictates your choices? Who's really dictating your plans? Who is that? Because I can tell you who wants to be the determining factor in all those things, and it's the rabbi, the teacher, Jesus. My heart for you would be just to surrender to that and just to trust him. Just to trust him this morning. So with every head bowed, listen, I'm asking you, come on, and your eyes closed. No manipulation here, nothing happening like that. But if you're that person this morning, where you're standing, and you're saying, I've been resisting God. I've been giving God the pushback. I've been trying to, trying to move when he said delay. I've been trying to resist. If that's you this morning, and you want to say, I don't want that any longer. 
I don't want to be just a believer in Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want him to take the lead. I want him to move out front. I want him to make those decisions. I just want to follow him. If that's you this morning with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just raise your hand up. I'm not going to, no one's manipulating you. I see you. God sees you. I see you. God sees you. Just raise your hand. That's all right. All right. All right. I'm, I'm not twisting anything. I'm not turning anything. I've seen your hands. More importantly, God saw your hands. So I, I want you to pray where you're at. And I want you to express that to the Lord. I want you to pour your heart out to Him. And I want you to say to Him, in your words, it doesn't have to be the way I say it. However you communicate that to Him, whatever words that fit you to express Him, Lord, to express to the Lord in honesty, in honesty, you do that. You do that. Father, you have seen the hands raised. They represent, Lord, hearts that at times have been resistant and at times have followed. And somewhere along the way, Lord, sometimes, Lord, we, we start to back up. Fear creeps in. And we're like the disciples and we're thinking about, man, if we go into that place, there's a lot of stoning going on there. I don't want to go there. Then all of a sudden, we followed you up to, up to uh, such a place or such a point, and then we get there, man, and no, no, it's too scary to keep following. Father, we don't want to be scared anymore. We want to be brave, not in ourselves, but in you, confident in you, that your strength fill us. Father, for every hand that was raised, God, I do not speak for them, but I come alongside them. I desire for them what you desire for them. And I ask you, oh God, to hear them as you always do. Guide them as you're always willing to do. Make their hearts and their minds pliable to bend to the delay, to the benefit, to understand, to perceive to see things the way you see things and allow that, Lord, to transform them. To transform them. And Father, I believe with all my heart that if they've cried out to you this morning, they've cried out to you this morning, called out to you this morning, you will respond to them. And your desire is to lead them as their desire should be to follow. So Father, we concede this, this conversation, this expression, this thing that's been communicated to you through them that you'll be faithful to do, to do what they need done. It may not look the way they want it to look, but it's okay, we're followers. But we're going to trust you this morning. We're going to trust you this morning. 
It's in the name of Jesus we pray. We ask these things. We bless your word and we thank you. It's in his name and the sons and daughters of God said amen. 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 God bless you.